0: As we look at verses uh, 65 through 72 this morning, as I try to work through Psalm 119, eight verses at a time. It's going to be a while, but roughly not quite halfway through the psalm. But this concept of God's goodness, are we not tempted in this area? When life hurts, when life happens... talking to somebody recently, in the past calendar year, they visited doctors 125 times. And I think, hmm, that's a lot. (laughs) Seems like a lot. I don't know about you, but that's, uh, what, 10 times a month? On the average, right? That's... uh, Couple times a week, every week, right? That's a lot. Now, is that good? Well, it's good you have doctors to go to, right? The good that you have doctors who have wisdom and and uh, and all of that. Uh, but is God good? Even if you go to the doctor that often, you get diagnosed with cancer. I have some relatives who are battling cancer. One who is now apparently unable to uh, verbally communicate, unable to use a phone, unable to use a computer. So basically within their, their existence is, is here, right? Within, within their mind, within their soul. Not able to tell somebody else what's going on. Is God still good? Yeah. those who I have acquaintances who are battling Parkinson's and their body no longer is doing what you know they, they had, had, uh, had been uh, athletic and, and very active and now they, they wrestle with some of the most basic things is God still good We need to look at God's goodness and we need to remember that we will often see it through the lens of affliction. We, we don't always think about God's goodness when we're cruising along, right? We, I, I know it's, it's mundane, but we were traveling over to Mayo Clinic the other day and cruising along on the new highway oh, that's good, right? We say, because now I don't have to wait, right, for the tractor to whatever or for the combine or for the really slow driver. But then we were cruising along and then we came upon somebody who was not doing good. They were below the speed limit, right? And just my flesh just immediately responds with, that's not good. how dare you interrupt my flow, right? I was flowing just fine, right? And, and we immediately begin to think this is not good. But then you, you sit back and you begin to ponder based upon Scripture, and I've already addressed these things, but, and you see that on the wall there. The definition of what is good has not changed at salvation. God is still good, whether I'm a believer or not. God is good whether the entire world rejects him or not. God is still good. And he does good. But it's my interpretation of God's, the good God and his goodness and his good deeds. I now interpret that differently. For instance, let's just take uh, Genesis 6 through 9. Was the flood good? Well, depends on if you're in the boat or not, right? I think if you can't, obviously, but if you were to take a poll in chapter 10, was the flood good? Yeah, it was. Was the ark Good. Depends on if you're in or out, right? And it can go through the uh, all of the different events of history. Was the cross good? Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four tell us that what Jesus went through on the cross was by the. The, the the predetermined uh, the, the, the knowledge of god god's sovereignty was the crucifixion of christ that painful excruciating death was that good but we receive good from it right so our interpretation, our ability to understand good. I will, I hope, never forget my father uh, laying me across his lap one of those last times uh, before he passed away and saying to me, probably for the umpteenth time, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. But getting, getting the appropriate encouragement on my behind was good. Right? That's, the Proverbs is very clear about how good it is that our parents discipline us. And spanking is not child abuse. Discipline is good. And we begin to understand goodness differently. And then we begin to embrace it. Right? And that's what the psalmist is dealing with here, embracing what is good. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Our world would say, well, see, that's just the evidence of a warped mind. That's a perverted way of thinking. That's harmful. The psalmist says, no, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. So, when we seek God, when we love God, we are loving who and what is good. The world is wrong, God is right. And don't let the world, as Romans 12 tells us, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The world is going to tell you it is good if you never have problems. The world is going to tell you doing your own thing is good. The world is going to tell you thinking the way you want to think is good. The world is going to tell you loving whomever you want to love is good. God says this is the standard of good. Right? So, things are going to change. Now, real quickly, a short outline of Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. This, again, is not, what do they say? This is not uh, brain science or rocket surgery, but it's your past, God's past providence and God's present providence. How do you view the providence of God? The psalmist says in verse 65, And he makes a humble observation. You have dealt well. You have dealt good. If we can use southern Minnesota lingo. You have (laughs) dealt good with your slave, O Yahweh, according to your word. God has done good for you. God has done well with you. You have dealt well with your slave. Now, God said he would do good. Right? Psalm 1. And he has. Now, Alec Mottier picks up on this issue of what is well and what is good. And says it, God has now helped us to understand what it is. What is good? What is genuine wellness? In fact, you can go in certain aspects of the holistic types of medicine and you can go to a wellness center, right? A goodness center. What is good? Is it always good, always best to have good health? Or do we sometimes need what we say, poor health, in order to learn things, right? What is good? How do we appreciate what is good? Where do we find good? Do we find good only when we look within? Are we basically good people? That's what the world tells us, right? Is it good, my wife and I were reading this morning, is it good to have a guilty conscience? Sometimes. Right? Aren't you grateful for a conscience that condemns you? What is the source of good? The world would tell us, well, it's of course it's when you have a better job, when you make more money. Right? When you have a the right kind of pickup, right? Ram pickups, of course, right? (laughs) But we we live in a culture that says it's based on the here and the now. This is what's good. What about the hereafter? What about eternal life? And the demands of good, you have dealt well. With your slave, oh Yahweh. Oh, there's that word, slave, right? Oh, that's bad. Really? Is slavery always bad? That's a question you have to ask people today. Well, if slavery is always bad, then God is bad because God has slaves. Right? God purchased us and we are slaves of God. Is that good? Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> it's more than good, right? I remember hearing a, a, a young Christian uh, w- woman saying, Oh, is slavery is always bad. Well, no. At the moment of salvation, you become the slave of God. Well, no, I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God. Well, that's true you're also the slave of God. Oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. Well, you need to. You need to think this way. So the the psalmist says, you have dealt well with your slave, O Yahweh, according to your word. You've kept your word. Secondly, the psalmist says, he prays for having good taste. Not that you taste good. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. But you need to have good taste. What is he saying here? You see it in verse 66? Teach me good discernment. The word discernment is also translated taste. Now, we say, give me, the psalmist says, teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Isn't it good to have good taste? Some of you, maybe having gone through the last few years, uh, I've talked to a number of people who lost the ability to taste, right? So does that taste good? Mm. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not, right? Sometimes when you have a a, a cold or a a flu and your taste just, right? Stuff just doesn't, that sounds good, but then, oh, no, it wasn't good. Right? We've lost our taste. There's a lot of people who have lost, well, we all, from the moment of conception, have bad taste. Right? We, are, we are all want the wrong thing. The desires of your Father you want to do. We saw that in John 8 this morning. But what we need is good taste. What we need is the ability to reason well, to develop a taste for what pleases God. This is a prayer that the psalmist repeats uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in Psalm 119. Give me good discernment. Give me good taste. J. Adams says it this way, he needs to know the specific commands that will guide him in his daily decision making and he needs to know exactly how to obey them. That's good taste. (laughs) You want to taste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's commandments are good. God, give me a taste for what pleases you. That's what we need. That's what the psalmist is praying for. Thirdly, the psalmist offers a humble perspective I'm being habitually misled. Verse 67. He says it this way Before I was afflicted, I went astray. That's just, that was my life. I was always astray. But now, I keep your word. Andrew Davidson says it this way. I know this is a longer quote here, but bear with me. Going astray refers to all sins done not in a spirit of rebellion against the law or the ordinance of Jehovah. Sins committed through human imperfection. Uh, It refers to sins of human ignorance or simply human passions. You're just human. There are sins that we commit just because we are. And, and then of course and, and bear with me on the pause here. But and of course then we, we run to psychologists and psychiatrists and say, Well why would I ever do such a thing? Because you're human. Yeah, but I yeah. it's the as as Francis Schaeffer used to say, it's the mannishness of man. You're human. Well, I wasn't trying to no, but you're human. Human ignorance, human passion, sins done when the mind was directed to some end connected with human weakness or selfishness. But not formally opposed to the authority of the lawgiver. In other words, it's what in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament talks about. It's the opposite of of that which is the sin with the high hand. Okay? It's a weird expression, but it's shaking your fist in the face of God and saying, I'm not going to obey you. That's rebellion. This is your humanness. Right? You don't love your wife as you should. You don't love your husband the way you should. Why? Because you're rebellious? No, because you're human. You don't love your kids the way you ought. You don't love your parents the way you ought. Why? Because you're human. You're just frail. <laughs> it's the frailty of humanity, the mannishness of man. And this going astray can be restored many times simply by God disciplining us and bringing us back. So the psalmist says, I'm grateful for God's work in my life. You have dealt well with your slave, O Yahweh, according to your word. Verse 66, teach me good taste. I need. And if you don't think you need good taste, you have another think coming, right? You need to learn that your taste is is astray and it needs to be brought back. For I believe in your commandments. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I was going astray. But now I keep your word. Lastly, verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I need to be taught. Why? Because I don't know everything, right? And and, and that's part of what we talk talk about certain people. And I I just remember years ago being asked to help a particular individual. And I thought, okay. So I thought I uh, tried to help. And I found out that the, the individual already knew everything. So I didn't have anything to share. Didn't? <laughs> they were unreceptive. Why? Because they knew everything. Well, Lord willing, as you get older, you realize that you don't know everything. Right? And you realize you need to be asking for help more and more. And you pray, Lord, teach me your statutes. You are good and do good, the third and fourth use of this Hebrew word. God's actions flow from his attributes. He does good because he is good. God is actively good because he is essentially good. It is his essence to be good. So the psalmist says that I look at my past, I see the providence of God, but now in the present, very quickly, he says, I know what God has done in the past, but I'm wrestling right now. And what's his situation? Do you see it in verse 69? He's dealing with people who have different values than he does. Right? Like, go to work. That'll, that'll learn you, right? You'll, you realize people have different values than you do. So what are the values that he is addressing here in verse 69? He says the arrogant have a set of values that are different than the righteous. And what they do is they value different activities. Verse 69. The unbeliever, it says, the arrogant has smeared me with lying. The, the, the Hebrew word there can also be, perhaps you think of uh, drywall, mud, or plaster. Right? That's what the, the arrogant is trying to cover me over with, with this lying. As one man said, the, the psalmist is not suing for defamation of character. But what he is realizing is he needs God to sanctify him. And he needs to unreservedly obey God's word and God's will in spite of the lying. you see what the psalmist says? The arrogant have smeared me with lying. That's what the the unbeliever does. The believer has a different set of values regarding activity. He says, with all my heart, I will observe your precepts. In other words, your lying is not going to change my obedience. See, that's a different value. So it's a different idea of what is good. The unbeliever says it is good to smear somebody with lies. The believer says, no, it is good to obey God, regardless of the lies. The important issue is not the arrogant. The important issue is not what the arrogant say or do. What is important is the Godward response of the believer, regardless of whether you lie about me or not. I will, with all my heart, observe God's precepts. People are going to lie because people are liars. Right? They do what they do because of what they are. Just like God does what He does because of what He is, unbelievers do what they do because of what they are. They are liars, therefore they lie. The world is going to lie about you. They're going to smear you. We even use that expression in English, right? A smear campaign. Smear away, the psalmist says. But I, with my whole heart, will observe your precepts. The world also has a different view of pleasure. You see that in verse 70. Their heart is covered with fat, which, in, again, in the Hebrew language, uh, the, the Hebrew m- uh, culture is, is uh, to be fat was to, to demonstrate that one had material prosperity. But with the fatness comes a spiritual insensitivity. The psalmist is saying in verse 70, Their heart is covered with fat. It looks like they're prosperous, but they're not spiritually sensitive. Look what he says about himself. Where does he take his pleasure? But I delight in your law. We're going to take pleasure in something. Prosperity, material prosperity, physical prosperity, or spiritual prosperity. Well, why would you want to go to church? Because I want to know what God has to say and I want to be with other people who are thinking that same way. I want to be prepared. As the old 60s westerns would say, I want to be prepared to meet my maker. Right? Which is a biblical concept. But how do you define good when it comes to activity and when it comes to pleasure? But not only is it the contrasting values of the arrogant and the righteous, we also have the proper values in verses 71 and 72, very quickly. The values of the righteous despite the slander of the wicked. Verse 71 says we now have the right value when we look at suffering. Remember those days as an unbeliever? We thought that all suffering was bad, right? It's never good to suffer. Well, the psalmist says, by the grace of God, verse 71, it is good for me. There's that last, excuse me, the fifth use of the word good. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. This is a lifelong, to be a lifelong preoccupation with the Word of God. This is what it used to be. Some of you are old enough to remember when medicine came in a liquid form in a bottle. And they said, you're going to take this because it's good for you. Uh, I'm not so sure. Right? And it tasted, in fact, you can buy medicine that is actually called bitters. Right? And they're good for you. No, they're not. They're bitter. No, they're good. (laughs) Right? And we struggle with that in our immaturity. But suffering is a similar thing. We need to have a gratitude for bitter medicine. And by faith, the psalmist is enabled to look at affliction as a mark of God's grace and as a mark of God's fatherly discipline. Because the Father knows better than you do. But not only do we value suffering differently, we value God's Word differently. Do you see that in verse 72? The law of your mouth, the Torah, the instruction of your mouth, the inspired Word of God is better, there's that last use, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What would you rather have? Eh? Millions of dollars in your bank account without God, without His Word? Or would you rather have the word of God regardless of how much is in your bank account? Isn't this what the psalmist tells us in other places? Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist says in verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Every disciple needs to decide by God's grace what is the most valuable thing they can treasure? It's the Word of God. Say, well, I don't like reading. Doesn't matter. (laughs) If you treasure the Word of God, you will find ways to get the Word of God into your heart and mind and into your life. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, what? That's where your heart's going to be. The things you treasure are the things you think about, the things you ponder, the things you meditate on. The psalmist says, your word, the, word of, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. three things real quickly just some quotes from some I found helpful here when the faithful study God's word and pray to understand his ways they realize that his word is good better than riches right we need to be people of the word we need to allow the word of God to to well as the psalmist in psalm 1 right we need to be saturated with the word sometimes when we Not me, but uh, people who know how to cook and grill food uh, sometimes saturate the meat, you know, overnight and let it, uh, what's the word, marinate. Ooh, I do know one word about cooking. And they let it marinate, right? And then they take it and they throw it on the grill, and we say, well, that, what? That improved the taste. Why? Because it marinated, it was saturated when you allow the Word of God to saturate your heart and mind, you develop good taste. Weirsby says it this way, the person of faith does not live by the priorities and values of the world. We've had enough of that. We know what that's like. But we put the will of God ahead of everything else. Or to say it one other way, George Zemek, in his helpful book on the Psalms, he has one entire book written in a whole book on Psalm 119, and it's super in depth, and it's it's just it's a gold mine in so many ways. But he says it this way: that God is in the business of using personal affliction as a catalyst for spiritual growth. How many times have you talked to somebody and? And he said, well, what is it that kind of motivated you to while well, I had to go through this? Ah. And then those who have been through something similar kind of sit back and go, hmm, I understand. Been there. Right? Because you know the affliction in life is a catalyst for spiritual growth and also as a cultivator... Of right attitudes and proper priorities right it kind of cuts off all of the, the the frivolous and the mundane and the it we just need stuff some stuff just needs to go and we realize that what's really important is the word of God and my relationship with God and my Christ-likeness and my meditating on his word and all these other things just kind of tend to, right? You realize what's really important. And sports are not necessarily evil, but they're not the most important thing in the world. Well, they used to be, at least for me, they used to be. And if you ever watch me participate in sports, you say, well, why would that be? But, the, but they used to be important. And now it's like somebody said, uh, asked my wife, you guys going to watch the football game? And I was like, what game? Is there a, is there a game coming? Oh, Super Bowl. Oh, no, nah, not really. Because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Now, does God care who wins the Super Bowl? Yes, he's already determined what that's going to be, and people are waiting to find out. But ultimately, it's not a high priority because there are more important things. Right? You think it through. And and if you've ever sat in the hospital at the, the bedside of a loved one, you realize, you know, the sporting event doesn't really matter. This matters or whatever the case may be, the the different aspects of affliction, it, it it helps center you. It helps reorient you on what's important. So it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and as we've come to the end of our short series on the psalms it is good you are good and you do good your word is good affliction i can look at affliction now and say it is good that i have been afflicted now the affliction itself the specific Cancer, the specific suffering, the specific difficulty, in and of itself, we would say, is, is bad, is, is at sometimes evil, but the end result of it is good. Even death itself, Peter learned that he could glorify God in the death that he suffered. because death ushers the believer into the very presence of God and we, we can see the splendorous majesty of the glory of Christ. That is good. So even death itself can be good. But there is still suffering and it is still affliction and it is still Pressure. And it's not to minimize those things, but it is to put them in proper perspective. So, Father, grant us this grace. Grant us mercy in the affliction. But grant us grace to learn what we need to learn, that we would be pliable, that we would be the appropriate clay in the potter's hand as you shape us and fashion us into the image of Christ. Because that is good. And we will thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll ask you to stand for a benediction this morning taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. John records that all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And this is what they were saying. Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.